So first, I have to start by thanking you, Pastor, uh, for giving me the opportunity to do this. Uh, yes, I have often spoken with uh, the men's breakfast, uh, and, and really my heart is in education more than pastoring. But what's interesting is while I've studied to become credentialed, I've actually experienced a lot of what pastors experience, uh, just things that I didn't expect to run into. Uh, and, and so I appreciate you as a mentor. That's a part of the assembly's training, is that I have a mentor. And so Pastor Matt has been mine, uh, answered questions. And, and I thought at first, you know what, out of respect uh, to you, I would start with a joke. <laughs> but, but actually, uh, from the worship we just had, and I too want to thank the worship team, I thought worship this morning was fantastic. And as nervous as I am, and my voice may crack, and I will probably sweat. Uh, I, I just, I want to follow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so it's not time for a joke, but rather, worship isn't just the music. Worship starts when we greet each other out there. Worship continues through the music. Worship continues through the Word, when pastor's speaking or whoever the guest speaker is. And worship continues in our conversation when we leave. So I want to take that attitude out, not even just out in the foyer, but I want to take that out to the streets. I want to take that out to public. So I want to get right into the word rather than start with a joke. And so I want to do, uh, talk about the prodigal son. Now this is a well-known story, but there is an aspect that isn't spoken of a lot. And that is Jesus not only speaks about the prodigal son, he also speaks about his older brother the stay-at-home brother. And that's what I want to talk about today. So let's start with prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that we can gather together and worship you together as a family. I just, I thank you so much, Lord, that we have this family together worshiping your name, that we can gather together with no hindrance and worship your name. So I pray, Holy Spirit, move on us as we hear your word so as to take it to heart and to live it this week. Amen. So we're going to look at a substantial part of the Bible. The story of the prodigal son is Luke 15, 11 through 32. When I looked at this, I thought of how I might paraphrase it, because it is a long passage to read. But as I looked at it, there was nothing that I wanted to cut out. It just didn't fit to cut anything out. So we are going to read the whole passage. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, it is Luke 15, 11 to 32. I'm going to use the NIV version. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now what's interesting, if you read Luke, his gospel, before this, Jesus tells two parables. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, both of which emphasize what was lost. So Luke 15, first of all, the shepherd leaves 99 of his sheep to go find the one lost sheep. And Luke 15, 5 to 6, says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And in the parable of the lost coin, a woman who has ten coins loses one. And Luke 15.9 says, And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Now, in this case, there is no question as to Jesus' meaning. He is speaking explicitly about the unsaved, those who come to repentance. In Luke 15, 7, the shepherd finds his sheep and brings it home. And Jesus says in Luke 15, 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And in the case of the parable of the coin, in Luke 15:10, Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is clearly focused on the lost. Then he tells the parable of the prodigal son. He focuses on the one who is lost and is found, but he also has words to say about the one who isn't lost, the stay-at-home older brother. Whenever you read the Bible, it's good to ask, 
Why is this in there, right? It can be a tough question, but I thought about that as I read this. Why is it in this parable Jesus includes this passage about the older brother? Why does he say anything to that? Well, and that's what I want to speak about. What is there for the older brother to learn? First of all, if you're a Christian already and you read this story, you probably identify with the older brother. At one time, you may think that you identified with the prodigal son before you were saved. But after you've been saved, especially for some time, you may think more like the older brother. You already have a relationship with the father. You want to obey the father. Perhaps you are serving the father, even as the older brother says. So what do we take from this? What is Jesus saying to the older son? Well, we can say to the Christian. I would say, do not be envious of the prosperity of the lost who put money first or their squandering of it because everything that is God is ours. If we're honest, there are times, I expect you've experienced it too, there are times that I am envious of the unsaved. And I have to remember That is no state or condition to be envious of, no matter how much wealth they have. One point I take from this is do not worry about your needs. And easy for me to say, I'll admit, I have been very blessed by God. And in ways that I never would have expected, uh, and I have to say I was married at age 50 uh, to Tina, and that was a blessing I never expected But there were some tough times. There were times where, because of health issues, I was completely broke. I was 35 and looking at, do I have to move back with my parents because I can't afford rent? Just to give you an idea of, no matter where the Christian is at now, they've probably gone through some tough times too. So how can I say, do not worry about your needs? Well, let's face it. For those who do have the money and the wealth, If a person makes money the most important thing, they're probably going to have it because that's their priority. That's what they're putting their effort to. But at what cost? What must be sacrificed to keep that as a priority? If we look at the prodigal son, he gave up family. He gave up his relationship to his father. We as Christians also have a wealth. A wealth that perhaps the unsaved do not even recognize. And a wealth that can lead to confidence. We have God's resources in our hands. When the father says to his son, all that I have is yours, think about that. Think about the confidence you can have knowing God says that to you. The father says to us, all that I have is yours. So I want to read a passage that illustrates, again, how we need not worry. And this is Matthew 6, 25 to 33. And this is where Jesus speaks of the lilies of the field. So Matthew 6, 25 to 33 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you be worrying by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Since God provides for our needs, we do not need to take up worry. We do not need to take up that burden of anxiety. If our needs are taken care of, that frees us not from work or responsibility. We do want to work for the things that we need. It's not to free us from that, but it does free us from the worry that we may not have all the answers and we may not have all the resources. Once we're freed of that, the question is, okay, what does that free us to do? I would suggest that this frees us to take up the needs of others. Because we need not worry about our own needs, and because we have God's grace in abundance, we should distribute or share God's grace to others, helping them with their needs. So I want to bring up a couple of passages from Paul's letters that I think express this very thing. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So Paul is honest here about sharing in Christ's suffering. If Jesus was persecuted and we're following Jesus, can we really expect to escape it? But Paul also has experienced God's grace, God's comfort here. And that comfort that he and his fellow ministers have, he wants to share with the church. And in his writing, he's also sharing that with us. So another verse that reinforces this same idea from Paul is in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 12, he writes about the gifts of the Spirit. But before he goes into what the gifts of the Spirit are, he starts with 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the common good is for the church. The gifts of the Spirit are not meant for the individual to cherish or to be edified, but rather for the body. But it's also in sharing those gifts of the Spirit to the body that we are edified. So if you look at the list of the spirits, it's 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, the gifts of the Spirit. It includes a message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. 
These gifts are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and they're fulfilled when we share them. Healings, miracles, a word of wisdom, these aren't just for self, they're for others too. So there is this concept from Paul that what God has given us, we should share for the common good. If the gifts of the Spirit should be shared for the common good, why would not other gifts that God gives us also be shared for the common good? If we look at 1 Peter 4.10, what's interesting is Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter actually says this outright, exactly what I've been saying. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God's grace is to be regifted. That was actually, some of the men who are at the breakfast will recognize that, that that was the, the message for one, one Saturday morning was, sometimes it's good to regift. Well, there you go. God's grace is meant to be regifted. And I would say do this and see how much more God gives you. So just this morning, as you talk about these clothes that are coming in, something I've experienced in this church that I hadn't experienced prior to this is how God pours out his grace on this church and we become distributors of God's grace. That's new to me. I haven't experienced that before. In other words, it's not bad to be in middle management. We're the middle guy. God gives pours out his grace to us, and we just try to share it with the community. That's our role. And it's a fantastic role to have. And I think it's for every individual, too. Tithe and see how God blesses you. But I would say also, when it comes to tithing, don't limit your tithing to just money or finances. In fact, if that's a resource you don't have, what are the gifts that God has given you that you might tithe? So, maybe he has blessed you financially. Great. You can give. But maybe he's blessed you with good health. We see opportunities just here at, at church, but in a lot of nonprofit orgs, a lot of volunteer uh, groups that are especially hurting for volunteers now, after COVID. If you have good health, not everyone has that. How can you help someone who doesn't have good health? Do you have talent? You'd be surprised how God can use your talent. And even maybe you have, you know, unusual knowledge. You'd be surprised how God can use that. We see the drama ministry playing a part of church now. That is an outlet that many people probably don't foresee or think of. And someone comes along, blessed by God to do, lead such a thing. And suddenly there's a drama ministry. There's music ministry. And there are ministries that perhaps we haven't seen but could start. All of these gifts from God can be used for the common good. So, perhaps you feel that you don't really have the resources to help others right now. You don't have anything extra to share. You have to use what you have when it comes to finances or time, to take care of your most basic needs. You'd like to help others, but right now you feel you can barely help yourself. Now, we hope that our church might help with that. But there is one form of grace that God has given each of us, every one of us, that we can share. 
So every one of us, no matter what the circumstances, can share salvation. That is a grace that God has poured out to every one of us. God poured out his grace on us by sacrificing his son so that we could be redeemed. If you know Jesus as Lord, you know that we have a debt that we can't pay. And that is in sin. God is a holy God whose standard of righteousness it is impossible for us to achieve. But Jesus met that standard and died because we couldn't. So that we can have the same grace that he has with God the Father. So if you are saved, you have God's grace in abundance. So how do we share it? By telling others that they can have the same. We can share it by verbally sharing with others, by telling them about salvation, about what Jesus has done for us, by telling them about God's grace. If you have salvation, then you know how exciting it is every time Pastor Matt gives the prayer of salvation. Now, if you've been here for some time, I'm sure some of you know it by heart. (laughs) But realize, I should say, don't underestimate the power of that prayer, though. Realize that someone is hearing this for the first time. Here and at home, perhaps, online. They may be hearing this for the first time and will be saved. And this is something else for the older brother in the prodigal son story to learn and something for us to learn. Do you get excited when a brother or sister in Christ gets saved? When they are newly found to this family, do you get excited? What's more, an even more challenging question posed perhaps for the prodigal son, but also for every Christian, is are you going out to try to find your brother or sister in Christ? Because believe me, that's, that's convicting myself as much as anyone. You know that brother or sister in Christ is out there. Are you going out to find him or her? In Ephesians, well, I should say before that, this message has been for the Christian, the stay-at-home brother of the prodigal son. And by that I mean, of course, sister also. This is about the older brother who already knows God's grace. But I do need to speak to the prodigal child too. The one who hasn't returned to God yet. Who hasn't returned to his or her father. Some of you here may be in that position. You've come this far. Even so far as to come to this church. But maybe for reasons other than coming to God. But remember that the prodigal son didn't come to his father looking for salvation. He was just looking for a job, some food, shelter. But when he met his father, his father gave him so much more. The father said, my son was lost and now it's found. He was dead and now he's alive. This is salvation. And here in Ephesians 2, 4-5, Paul says, we were dead in sin and made alive again with Christ. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. We may approach God for our most basic needs, perhaps feeling so helpless that all you can say is help me God. 
But you may realize a more basic need, the need for salvation and God's offering of salvation. We don't need to save ourselves in God's eyes. We need to see that he offers us salvation through Christ. And so, Pastor, I would like to ask you to lead us in a prayer of